Making the Road as We Walk It, a conversation about seminary education in challenging times such as this, with President Javier Vieira, the president of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, and with Bishop Julius Tremble, who joined me, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, on episode number 44 of the United Methodist People podcast. The phrase that I like to use a lot is comes from, you know, the, the, the Spanish poet Machado, which is, we make the road by walking, right? And that's what we're having to do. We, we are figuring this out and making the road as we walk it. Welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. This is the podcast where we look to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. You can catch back episodes of United Methodist People podcast at unitedmethodistpodcast.com. In this episode, number 44, we are talking all things seminary education, particularly in the light of the challenges of our world, society, and in our United Methodist Church. Our guest is the new president of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. He took office January 1 of 2021. His name is Javier Vieira, and he came to Garrett Evangelical from, from Drew University Theological School, where he was the vice provost of the Theological School and the Professor of Pastoral Theology. He comes with a vision of bringing to the university a sense of discernment of the will of God and the calling of God and the renewal and the expansion of minds as as well as the nourishment and the strengthening of spirits. He is a native of San Juan, Puerto Rico, and is the first person of color and the first Latino to be hold the office of President Eric Gary Evangelical in the school's 167-year history. He is noted for his theological education and his history of innovation, his commitment to working for social justice and repaired, and for the elaboration of interjecting the church into the community. He is looking to work in partnership with the faculty and with the leadership team and the staff in order to impart a world-class theological education that can impact the world. Also on our podcast today is Bishop Julius Trumbull, 
the Indiana Area Bishop, who served the Indiana area since 2016, and prior to that, the Iowa area of the United Methodist Church. It's well known that seminary education is in a state of um, of uh, challenges, as all aspects of the church are, and the challenges that come with the COVID crisis and with some of the challenges in our United Methodist Church and with the change in society, how do you deal with that? One of the things that are that the President Vieira has talked about is making the road as we walk it. I think you're going to find our conversation fascinating here today as we talk about here today about the changing nature of theological education and about how there are applications in our world today which are very unique and special. Our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast, President Javier Vieira and Bishop Julius Trumbull. Let's get into that conversation right now. I welcome both of you to the United Methodist People podcast. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Good to be here and welcome to President Vieira. We're so glad to have him uh, and to have him in our North Central jurisdiction and, of course, uh, the opportunity to be in conversation. Excellent, excellent. Well, this is a great opportunity, especially since as you've just started your term President Vieira as uh, president of, of Garrett Evangelical, which happens to be the uh, both uh, Bishop Trumbull and I are alumni of that institution, alumni of that institution, and we have a great love and affection for it. And we want to see good things happen there, and we feel good about your presidency there. But we want to, we want to learn a little bit about you in this process. And one of the things I love to learn about our guest on the United Methodist People podcast is not only your professional situation now but about your faith. So let's hear a little bit about your faith in Jesus Christ, what brought you to faith in the first place, and a little bit about your journey, which eventually led you now to the presidency of Garrett Evangelical. Sure, sure. And again, thank you both for for having me and for uh, giving really Garrett this opportunity to to be in touch with your audience and and to show and through you uh, demonstrate the excellence of the, the, the women and men that we send out into ministry. Um, reflecting on my own sense of faith, I am, I am one of those people who can honestly say that there is not a day in my memory where I have not known um, the cradle, the embrace of, of the church. And there's not a moment where I have understood myself as not being other than a Christian and as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I was born um, in, in, as you mentioned earlier, San Juan, Puerto Rico, into a Roman Catholic family, um, was baptized and, you know, and brought up in my formative years in that tradition. Um, and then later when my family moved from Puerto Rico to Florida, we were invited uh, by actually one of my brother's teachers uh, to um, attend the Methodist Church, which you know, was a bit strange for my parents who, you know, had, my parents had not only been born and raised Roman Catholic, all of their education had taken place in Catholic institutions. And so the world outside of that was somewhat unknown to them, but we were welcomed into this, um, into this community, I think with, with real warmth. Um, And, uh, and then there was a, 
a small, a very small but burgeoning um, Hispanic, Latinx, um, Spanish-speaking uh, group of people who were starting to to congregate there. And from there, a mission church grew that nurtured me and 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 on my faith journey um, for for the years to come, and that eventually kind of launched me into ministry. A lot happened in between that, but um, but that's where I would say would be the genesis of of my own faith story, which is. Um, really being born into the cradle of the church, but then also being nurtured and, and, um, and launched, um, you know, by, by God's people um, who saw, you know, whatever it is, the spark of God's call in me and helped me to recognize it and helped me to pay attention to it and, and encouraged me on that way. That's awesome. And so that was your story of coming to faith. And then, what led you into ministry then to pursue this as your vocation and eventually into the educational world and then to eventually the presidency of Garrett Evangelical? Sure. So, and so to say that I cannot remember a time or a moment where I, you know, this hasn't been my identity doesn't mean that I always had clarity about a call to ministry. And so when I went to college, I, you know, I studied, uh, religious studies and political science. I was a double major and, um, and really thought that I was going to go in that direction. I spent some time in Washington, D.C., working for a United States congressman. Um, and it was really during that experience where I remember we, we came back uh, from a fundraiser uh, together. The congressman and I um, had a lot in common. We, we had both been born into, um, you know, Latino Roman Catholic families eventually became Methodist um, under similar circumstances. And, um, and it was really, you know, one day I was talking to him about, he asked me about my future. Where do you, where do you see yourself going? And, and as I talked again, this is an example of how um, the church and and its people helped me discern my own direction. He he said something to me that I never have forgotten. And it stayed with me. And he just um, said to me simply, Javier, the world needs a lot more good ministers than it needs politicians. Now, in today's world, I'm not sure that's true. We need a lot of good politicians as we can. Yes. In that moment in time, it was almost it was almost the permission that I needed to kind of explore this. And so from there, um, I decided to start exploring it. I ended up attending uh, Duke Divinity School in, in Durham, North Carolina which was an absolutely transformative experience for me. I'm uh, very, I, I was changed um, spiritually, intellectually, in terms of my own, you know, personal maturation through that experience. Um, and it was really there while at Duke that I came to accept this sense of, of calling in my life. And, and, uh, and I was still trying to discern, okay, does this get lived out? In congregational ministry and leadership, or you know, I, I had a I had a very active intellectual life, and or do I pursue this through the academy? And at the time, I decided I'll try both. And so, after I finished at Duke, I um, went to Yale Divinity School and did another degree in in ethics at at Yale. And but at the same time, was serving a congregation in New York City. And what I found over the course of my time in that program is that I was being drawn more and more to the congregational work. 
that there was something about it, the connection to people and their lives and and to the work of ministry and really the work of, of helping to kind of dream about what this congregation in the middle of Manhattan could be and the impact that it could have. And that really com- was compelling to me. And I, for the next, you know, 18 years of my life, I gave myself over to, to congregational ministry and, um, and felt very fulfilled in that work. That's awesome. And then, so you served uh, churches in New York City and other uh, urban environments, sure. and, then you, and then you eventually transitioned into the academic uh, world and evolved now at, uh, to be the president at Garrity Evangelical. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I served in a number of, as I was discerning and coming to this call, I, I served for several years as a, as a youth director of a, of a large um, youth program in Florida, um, and then served, you know, rural congregations um, in, in North Carolina through like internship experiences, but then came to New York City and, and served um, one congregation for 14 years and another congregation for uh, four years, um, and then eventually came into um, the the deanship at Drew Theological School. In the interim, while I was doing pastor work, I also pursued doctoral studies and and did my work. Um, really, my work focused on the you know the moral um, formation um, and the learning that takes place in engagement across religious differences. So I did a lot of work on interfaith dialogue and encounters across religious differences of people who from completely different traditions. And, uh, and that work really grew out of my pastoral work because coming into a congregation in the middle of Manhattan and, and realizing how quickly I was having to deal pastorally with, you know, interfaith families, you you know, the, one spouse, one spouse was Jewish, one was Christian. What, how are we going to do? What are we going to do with baptizing children? Or how are we going to raise them? Or mm-hmm. couples who were discerning, can we be married? You know, one of us is Hindu, one of us is Christian. What do we do? How do we think yes. about it? One of the things I'm really glad to hear you, you say, President, is how you have this diverse experience, both in the local church and in your experiences in the local church and in the academic settings. So you bring to that uh, to bear. And I think that's so, so important for us to be, we just have a real need for integration uh, into the local church and into society of theological education and perspective. And I think that's part of the uh, agenda that I know Bishop Trimble wants to speak to you about. So Bishop, what I know you had some things in mind that you really wanted to speak to uh, President Vieira about. Well, again, uh, I've had a chance to, uh, uh, meet President Vieira with the College of Bishops just briefly, but I, I really appreciate this opportunity. And I look forward to post-COVID, whenever that is, mm-hmm. to, to have you come to, to Indiana. I would love uh, cert- You certainly want to keep uh, that strong connection. We don't have a United Methodist Seminary in Indiana, but we have, you know, we're relatively close to United, which is in Dayton. And uh, we, we have folks that go to Asbury. We have folks that go to the Christian Theological Seminary, which is here in Indianapolis, uh, and we have students uh, at Garrett. So I, I know this is, uh, you, you probably when you, if, if you were planning your future, it wasn't, uh, COVID wasn't in that picture. <laughs> right. And certainly taking, taking a new role like this amidst this environment, you know, for the last several years, Brad, you know, we've been talking a lot about adaptive leadership 
yes. And this is an environment where uh, leaders of institutions and conferences and local congregations are having to be adaptive. Uh, I was wondering, President Vieira, as you come into a new new role as president of Garrett in this environment, the COVID environment, what are some of the adaptive challenges that you you have faced and what are the opportunities, maybe uh, uh, aha moments or, or God or, or, or uh, glory sightings along the way that you've discovered uh, even in this, these early, early weeks? Right. What a great question, Bishop. And I think that the way that I would answer that is that um, I think one of the early challenges that has become very clear to me and that, I, and, and, and I know this has to be clear for you and your colleagues as well is um, my sense that that the world as we knew it is not going to be a world that we return to when we're on the other side of COVID-19. I think that congregational life, I think that community life um, will will be different um, in, in in significant ways. And and one of the things that that we're facing as a seminary is the fact that we're training people for a world that we do not yet fully understand and that we aren't certain of what it will look like, right? So that we're training. There was a there was a point in time, certainly when I was coming through seminary, where what I was trained for, I felt was very much the world that I walked into. I mean, a lot of people feel like, oh, seminary didn't prepare me for I've you know, I, I actually felt like I was very well prepared. Like my, my seminary prepared me, didn't, didn't give me every answer, but certainly prepared me for the world that I stepped into. I don't know that we live in that moment right now, right? And so that as a theological school faculty, we're, we're having to not only discern how do we, you know, adapt to all of the changes pedagogically that we have to, you know, and technologically in order to keep the seminary going and in order to meet the commitments that we've made to our students and to the congregations that they're going to go serve. But really it's a larger question of what is the role of, of people of faith in a world that, that in which 500,000 of our fellow you know, citizens have now died in a world that has been completely uprooted by the unfinished work of racial justice and racial inequality. How do we prepare people to go and to lead into, into congregational and community settings in a world where economic inequality and the impact of, of the economic downturn is hitting families and individuals in really um, intense ways? And where is the church in that? What is the church's role in that, right? We're, we're you know, I, I, the phrase that I like to use a lot is, comes from, you know, the, the, the Spanish poet Machado, which is, we make the road by walking, right? And that's what we're having to do. We, we are figuring this out and making the road as we walk it. And, um, and part of what I think that we have to do, there are, there is a great wisdom in the tradition that we are a part of this. We are not the first Christians who have confronted uncertain times and overwhelming times. And to be able to draw on that tradition, to be able to see the way that our ancestors and predecessors in the faith have surpassed and confronted their own challenges. There's something to learn from that. So I'm one who actually believes that, you know, this isn't a moment to 
have less theology and less history and, and less Bible. It's actually time for more of that because it's by di- diving more deeply into the tradition and, 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 and gleaning the wisdom from that, that we can then begin to have a clear sense of how we move forward as people of faith, as Christian people of faith in this given moment. One of the things that uh, is said in some of the data or some of the uh, uh, introductory comments about you on your website says that you are preparing students for such a time as this. And I think you are touching on that right here and what your comments are that with the time we are going to emerge into is just different than where we came from. But now we're in this chaotic time right now. What are some of the pragmatic things that we can do though, uh, president? Um, What are some of the pragmatic things you're preparing students to do when they leave Garrett and go to those congregations, which have been uh, devastated in one way or another? You know, socioeconomically, uh, racial strife, uh, been with not meeting in worship in person for months upon end, any number of things. What are some of the practical, pragmatic things that we can do to prepare those pastors and clergy who are going out there? Yeah, I think I think a couple of things. One is that I think that we are not simply preparing people to go and lead institutions. Right. Even though that's something that we absolutely have to do. Right. People have to know how to relate to to other human beings. They have to know how to manage facilities. They have to know how to read a budget spreadsheet. Right. But what we're also hopefully training them to do is to be a public theologian and to be the public witness of the church in the communities that they go to. So what we have to train them to do, what we have to prepare them to do well is to learn how to read the, 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 the social context in which they are going to not step into a community, assuming that they're bringing solutions, but actually to become immersed in the life of that community, to learn what the people's needs are, what the people's aspirations are, and to begin to be, to begin to lead congregational life in a way that's responsive to that, in a way that, you know, um, that sees the divide between the spiritual and the the secular as something that that doesn't make sense anymore. To see that the work of, of economic justice and racial justice and spiritual formation and moral formation is all part of the work of the church, not something that the church does, you know, just through its outreach ministries or something that it does as a side, but that this more spiritual work is its essential work. No, it's all part of what Christian witness and ministry in the world is, and that, and that we see that that work is, in fact, spiritual work doing um, the work of social repair and economic justice and social justice in, in the community. I think all of that is a way of caring for people's souls, nurturing their spiritual hunger and spiritual lives, because the two don't exist in separate universes, but are part of an integral whole. Bishop, what do you need to hear from uh, President Vieira in terms of when pastors come out of seminary and come in to be appointed into uh, our local churches? What kind of things do you need from the seminaries for the pastors coming out now? I, I, I resonate with what uh, 
President Vieira said earlier, I, when I came out of Garrett, uh, Brad, I don't know how you felt. I felt fairly well prepared for ministry for the world in which we were living in at that time. I did as well. Yes. In fact, I felt quite privileged because some of my classmates didn't know where they were going. I was United Methodist and I already had an appointment before I graduated. uh, 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 I served in North Chicago for four four, four and a half years in a cross-culture, cross-racial appointment, but it was a wonderful, wonderful appointment. And I felt prepared for, for that. Uh, and, and I didn't expect the seminary to teach me everything about ministry. I had a great mentor. I, as I grew up in the church, and well, uh, before I started seminary, I was already a youth minister in my local congregation. So um, I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting a seminary to do it. But what it, what I did get from Garrett, and what I do still expect, is I, I had a thirst for learning when I left seminary that was that that had been elevated when I went to seminary. So when I when I graduated from 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 seminary, uh, I I just I love reading. I love I love libraries and I love you know Barnes and Noble, any kind of bookstore, uh, you know. And I get some of that from my from my mother, who's a who's a retired school teacher. But uh, I I still think there's a need for for persons coming out of seminary to have a thirst for being lifelong learners, and also uh, adaptive leaders. Uh, because uh, I, when I left seminary, I learned from uh, uh, church-based community organizing. I didn't get that in seminary, but I had a. I came out of a local congregation where there was a strong emphasis on social justice and community engagement, uh, and and I think uh, graduates now need to come out with something that they're that they're passionate about. If it's preaching, let it be preaching. If it's if it's engaging and uh, if they have an entrepreneurial spirit, let it be that. Uh, I, I think we're past the time when a person just comes out and says, I'm just coming to kind of serve as a chaplain in residence of a local congregation. Uh, and uh, I, But I think seminaries can, can, do, can, can prepare people for, for a diverse, uh, the, 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 con- consistently emerging Diverse culture and some of the uh, some of the changes that are rapidly happening, rel- relative to technology and communications. Um, uh, some of our younger pastors, uh, who, who are younger than you and I, Brad, uh, you know, are are digital natives. Uh, uh, so yes. that, you know, they were, my our our grand my granddaughter, who's not yet three years old, is already has a little iPad. And so she she's used to talking to people on the phone where you can see them on the phone, too. So so uh, it's a different kind of world. And I think I think uh, seminaries uh, have to, you know, I, my, my question would be, you know, what do you do now? Are, 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 are people still registering to come to the campus? Is there an expectation that people can do do a portion of their seminary, uh, you know, uh, virtually uh, or it, relationships part of part of the richness rich experience of seminary for me was even though even though I was married um, was was relationships you know actually being on campus actually uh, engaging students and in faculty and 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 the community so that's a it's a different world we're in now even, even post covid i think it's still going to be different it is and we're trying to, we're actually trying to figure this out again as we go along bishop because 
We, you know, we, of course, like everyone else, we pivoted um, and are now in fully remote operations. We plan to be back in the fall and our intention is to come back fully in person, but to allow um, for students who need to, to, you know, be in remote, um, to have remote access to our programs and, um, and for, for all different manner of reasons to expand. And one of them is to expand who has access and the ways in which we can continue to expand our service to the church and to the world. Um, but you know what, I want to I pick up on something that you were saying earlier, because I think that one of the things that I think that, that seminary needs to cultivate in the life of our students who go out to serve is that we need to do a better job of making sure that they have a vibrant spiritual life. And that, you know, one of the things that I think I mourn um, as an educator, and I've seen this, you know, not, I've only been at Garrett for two and a half months, so this isn't a comment on Garrett, but it, at other places I've been, is that people come out very clear and passionate about matters of social justice, but they can't always relate it to how faith inspires that commitment and how faith informs that work, right? And, the, and it's not always clear how we talk about Jesus and about the church's tradition and our Christian witness as part of that social justice work. And I think we have to do a much better job of that. And it's one of the things that, that I'm committed to. I think that my own experience in, in local congregational work was that that there were deep, there were moments of, of immense challenge and spiritual dryness, but that, but that there were, but if I did not have kind of this, this wellspring from which to draw from, um, and, and people who were spiritual partners and, and conversation partners with me, I think it would have been, I would have, I would have felt isolated and I would have been much more ineffective. Um, and I think that we need to cultivate an active spiritual prayer life um, and uh, and spiritual engagement in our students well, in a way well, that we have. Well, let's just go there personally for just a minute, yeah. President Vieira. What are some of the scriptures that inform you, or what are some of your spiritual mentors, either through reading or through personal mentors, or what are some of your spiritual practices? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, when I, when I say, you know, a, a rich prayer life, my own my own spiritual practice is more contemplative in nature. So I'm not one, you know, when I get called on to pray, I do it because it's what we're called to do. But if I, if, you know, if it were really what I were doing, we would be in, in moments of deep silence, um, listening um, for the, for the moving of the spirit, listening for the ways in which God is, is at work trying to make God's will known to us and, and discerning and trying to listen for that. So I think that my own personal uh, spirituality is, is much more contemplative in nature. Um, and I think that that's something that, that we need to do a much better job of teaching in our seminaries and teaching our students about. Um, in terms of, you know, scriptures, I, for me, I, you know, there's um, the text from Isaiah, which um, Jesus opens, you know, in the synagogue and says, I have come, you know, the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has, you know, empowered me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to declare that the time has come when God will save God's people. That is for me what I think ministry is all about and what we're called to. And that's what, that's the scripture that I return to over and over and over again. Mm. 
Bitch, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Um, I think Mike Slaughter in one of his books says that if the good, if the guy, good, the good news is not good news to the poor, it's not good news at all. That is right. Uh, so I, that text that you that you that Jesus quotes from my, from Isaiah is so so powerful uh, and and so 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 necessary. One of the books that kind of grant gave me wokeness before that was a word, I guess was some time ago when it first came out, The uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Priero. And I know that's your, one of your experts. I, your, maybe your, your, your PhD might have been part I, of that. That is what my dissertation was on. <laughs> well, good. I'm good. I, yeah, I can finally, finally ask. <laughs> one of the things I wasn't, that wasn't aware of, that, I, that this past Sunday was the anniversary of the uh, Selma, Selma March, mm-hmm. uh, and the first one that John Lewis was not part of. Uh, Congressman John Lewis now now gone on to heaven, uh, mm-hmm. but one of the things I know people uh, from that from that time period uh, say were was often missing missing was what Pierre talks about as praxis, uh, this whole notion that we're engaged in life. I'm, these are my words now. The whole notion we're engaged in life and ministry and doing and being, and there often is not any period of reflecting on that. Um, how how might his those words which were written some time ago have have agency today, President Vieira? Do, yeah, do you think I mean, they I, would have it? I think you know one of the things that that, that people who who read Freire often don't realize is how deeply um, committed a committed man of faith he was, and how how much the church's um, faith informed his own his own thinking and praxis, and um, and. I guess, you know, for me, Freire's whole notion of conscientization, right, of, 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 of critical awareness or consciousness raising um, or awakening, if you will, it's, it's a really difficult word to translate into English. Um, but it's that it's becoming aware of what actually is, that, that what is around us, what is, and that, and that we have agency um, in in the world, right? And so often, um, you know, part of the people that he worked with felt that they had no agency. And part of his work was to, through literacy campaigns, was to was to inspire in them a sense of of how they could become their own advocates, how they could create their own future, and how they could challenge the the systems of of oppression that kept them in that mindset that we have no agency, we have no way to create a different reality for themselves. I think that's the work of the church, right? Is, is a spiritual awakening that, that brings transformation to local communities and to local lives and opens us up to what the spirit is doing in the world. To use, you know, to use biblical language, bringing about the kingdom of God amongst us, right? That's the work of the church. And so it's in that sense that I understand the work of Ferry being very relevant and still very much alive today. Thank you. Yet we and we have to apply this type of thinking to a broken world right now. And we have a broken world. In many ways, we have a broken church. You know, we have a the challenges of what's going on politically and social economically the last year or so, the pandemic, 500,000 dead, all this going on. And then we have 
in our beloved United Methodist Church, we have our challenges and our schisms. So I just want to guess, I just want to ask you, President Vieira, what is the state of seminary education as it applies to the brokenness of our world and our church right now? Yeah, actually, this is, um, this is one of the places where I think theological education is a gift to the church, because it's what you have just described, I think, is what we end up engaging in more than anything is in dialogue and, and in critical analysis of, of the brokenness of the world and wanting to be a part of, of the healing and the restoration that the church can and should be leading. Um, in that regard. And so I think that, you know, in theological education, in theological seminaries, I think this is a regular conversation. And what I think I have found is, you know, at least, in, you know, in my previous uh, setting, where when alumni would would come back and engage, re-engage in this sort of reflection and critical conversation, they would say, this is what we miss. This is our soul is starved for this kind of engagement. And this is a way that I think the seminaries need to adapt. Uh, Bishop, back to your earlier point, is, is in providing that kind of continued resource and engagement for our alums where they are, and in some ways helping them, um, empowering them, equipping them to continue to do that kind of work, that kind of critical reflection in their congregational settings, um, so that that work can begin to to kind of take root and emerge from within their congregations and, and the congregational life. Restoration and reconciliation, uh, to be a force for that is just such a need, I think. And, uh, also, the spiritual renewal aspects, I just think, you know, there is a, a, a darkness and a dryness and a challenge that is out there uh, and that, that just needs to be addressed uh, through the church in one way or another among clergy and among the people. And we've got challenging, challenging times here. Yeah, I think, you know, early on, um, and, and Bishop, you, you can answer this better than I can to see if this is sustained, but early on um, when the pandemic hit, it was it was really amazing to watch the statistics of how um, churches now going online were seeing more people engaged in their liturgical worship life than they were when the only option was to be there in person, right? And to me, that spoke of of something that actually is very hopeful for us is that there actually is a spiritual hunger and a spiritual longing that we haven't been incredibly effective at addressing, but that the, this pandemic gave us an opportunity to kind of rethink and to re-engage. And I'm not saying that, I don't know whether that kind of initial response um, and engagement has been sustained over the long haul, but what it does speak to is an opportunity that we have to kind of think about um, how, to, how, to, how to capture and how to sustain. Amen. And give and give the tools and help be the process, be the, the think tank, as it were, to help apply the tools that can be applied there in the local church setting and other ways as well. Because there's so many, uh, yes, that's true, what you said, and, you know, I'm involved with technology here and so on. I know that it's such an important tool, and yet there are many churches that are kind of struggling with that. You know, yeah. there are many pastors who aren't up to speed on all uh, all the ways. And so when you had this gap. Of, and congregations and congregations who are resistant to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And individuals and so on and so forth. Yeah. So you have 
Some people are embracing the, you know, the online worship and so on, and some people who struggle with it, and some people just can't get it, can't can't do it. And so we're going to have to rebuild some things and just reimagine some things, how we do church. And I believe the seminaries have to be in the forefront of that, have to be the cutting edge, the research, the R&D of the church, as it were, research and development and that type of thing. So Yeah, this is actually a conversation even amongst our liturgical studies folks that 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 have that has come up in conversation here because um, you know, one of the things that we realize is that it's not that the, that the work is not simply to broadcast what we do in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning and mm. assume that that communicates in the same way. It's a different medium, right? And so we have to think of these as different experiences, different opportunities, and we have to cultivate those experiences to reach different audiences. Um, and and that's a lot of work. And our pastors who are really doing this and engaging this well, they're exhausted. Um, and, you know, our faculty, we hear, I hear it from they're exhausted in doing this work because it's not the way that we've gone about it is not sustainable. And we have to figure out a way that we can do this well, but that we can do it in a way that's sustainable uh, and yet addresses the need. Mm-hmm. It helps bring life and in, in vigor where there was the, the challenges of, of the, such a time as this. Bishop, it looks like you're chopping at the bit to ask another question here. So. <laughs> no, I was just think, thinking, President Vieira, what about the persons, are, who are the people that should think about coming to a, a school like Garrett? Uh, we, we often, I mean, when I went to seminary, it was because I had felt a call to ministry. My pastor went to Garrett and I just, I went to seminary. But but I, there, there may be people who are, who are, contemplating finishing undergraduate and never have thought that seminary seminaries graduate school as a, as a place. Is it just for people who've already felt a clarion call for, <laughs> for the local church ministry? What, what if you have a passion for law or a passion for yeah. politics well, or this is, a passion for chaplaincy? Yeah. Bishop, this is a great question because I think that this is one of the, I mean, here, if you, if you let me just kind of tout Garrett for just a second, um, uh, this is one of the, the great ways in which I think Garrett can, can be a gift to the church writ large, not just to pastoral ministry. 56% of our students graduate and go into pastoral or congregational leadership of some form, right? But th- that leaves a significant portion who go to do something else. And in part because of where we're located on the campus of Northwestern, we have the opportunity for people to to kind of explore, you know, people who are writers, for example, and want to, you know, think of their work and and their ministry through writing can can do programs with the graduate school of, you know, of journalism at at Northwestern or with the, you know, with social work with our partnership with Loyola um, or even, you know, we have programs with, you know, the Kellogg School of Business, people who see themselves as wanting to go into business, but to who want their work to be informed with a moral ethical, theological lens, right? Um, And we need people in business with that kind of formation and those kinds of commitments. So I think that that Garrett is a place where you can come and and have a sense of Christian vocation and, and, and be called into the world with that sense of Christian vocation in a broad way. 
that can in fact, and for many means, congregational ministry, but it can be expressed in a lot of different ways. People who go into movement leadership, people who go into organizational leadership, people who are, you know, committed to, you know, education as a, as a, as a pathway for freedom, right? And, and see their work as being theologically informed. Even uh, politics, as you mentioned earlier. Even politics, that's exactly yes. right. Right. Public servants. One of the things that um, uh, I have heard at the term for a seminary is to become a servant seminary. And I love that imagery. And I'd like you to speak to that for just a minute in terms of this. You've already touched on it here. It's my understanding. I'm parent of two 20 something sons who love public service, but they've kind of fallen out of favor in the church because they see a lot of issues in the church. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of young adults feel that way, I believe. They believe in serving the greater good, but they are looking at different avenues of doing it. And I'd like for you to speak to this sensibility of servant seminary in terms of how it can be attractive to folks who want to serve a greater good, but somehow have seen the church as maybe just one of several options. But can you speak to this area of servant seminary? Yeah, this is, you know, it's interesting. This is a conversation I was having with my wife recently because, um, you know, we were talking about Garrett as a graduate school of theology and she was pushing me on, but what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And the more and more I spoke about it, the more I realized that, yes, we're preparing people theologically, right? Um, Giving them a sound theological foundation to everything they do. But in many ways, Garrett is also a graduate school, it's a graduate school of theology, but it's also a graduate school of leadership and of public service, right? And we're sending people out into the world in those capacities. You know, the notion of a servant seminary is something that my predecessor, um, Dr. Laleen Rector, um, that she that was that was really her sensibility about what the seminary should be. And it was about cultivating um, a kind of leadership that saw itself as going into the world primarily to serve, right? And that this notion of, of servanthood that is so central to Jesus' own ministry and Jesus' calling of his disciples would be embodied and expressed in the world through our graduates, that, 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 that if we were doing our work well at Garrett, that people would graduate from here knowing that first and foremost, they go into the world to serve and to serve as servants, right? I come into this world not to be served, but to serve. And it's that sensibility that I think that we're trying to, to, to form and to inspire in our students. Appreciate that so much. We need to draw this to close in just a moment or two here, but I wanted to see if Bishop, if you had any comments or Closing thoughts for our, for for President Vieira or anything else you want to share? Well, I, I'm encouraged by uh, by the leadership of President Vieira and and the opportunity. Uh, I know a lot of people say that we're in liminal space and we have to to rediscover lamentations and lament and and uh, uh, and recognize that uh, we can't go back to the way things were. And, uh, but I do also think that we're in a tremendous uh, space of opportunity for for proclaiming the gospel. I think there's, I've said this here in Indiana, that I think there's going to be a revival. I think a revival is already underway. And uh, when we come out of COVID, 
uh, there's going to be a, a, a tremendous need for for enthusiastic followers of Jesus Christ to create wide doors and, and, and wide open windows for people to participate in God's movement. And I think the seminary, I, I'm inspired by Pope Francis in a lot of ways. He, he, uh, uh, he early on said that the church should give itself away. And uh, so maybe the seminary in that same sense is, you know, we often think of institutions of, of how do we sustain institutions? How do we protect institutions? Uh, but what if, what if we see ourselves uh, as a church and as seminaries as, is how do we give ourselves, uh, literally give our give ourselves away? I uh, I think this is a obviously a challenging time for leadership, but also a great opportunity to be uh, harbingers of hope, and and also this is a good opportunity for some experimentation. Uh, and we often talk about risk taking, but then we punish people when they take risk. So I, I think uh, if we can find a the courage and wherewithal to actual, actually engage in um, some innovation uh, that, that that will happen not only in the church, but also in the seminary. So I look forward to being su- supportive of, of your leadership uh, and, uh, and Garrett uh, as, as we, as we go forward into the future. Awesome. Well, Bishop, well, if I may, oh, sorry. sorry. No, no, I just want to give you the last word, President yeah. Vieira, about uh, what you ever will you want to share and any signs of hope for the future. Yeah, I want to say, Bishop, if I may, I, I should we should also recognize that, yes, we're living in, 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 in liminal times and in difficult times for the church. But but, you know, you are in a in a very unique position in which the demands on your leadership are extreme to lead wisely, to lead carefully to lead expansively. And I want you to know that, that Garrett is here also to support your ministry and the ministry of your colleagues in Episcopal leadership and the ministry of the people of, of the Indiana Annual Conference. Um, we're, we're committed to that, and we will be in regular prayer for you and the people of Indiana. And I hope that we might find ways to bring renewal and, and um, innovation to the church because I think more than ever, the church's ministry matters for real people in, 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 in their lives in a deep and profound way. And I want to be a part of, of the work that you and, and, and the people of Indiana are unfolding there. I want to be in partnership with you. And so I look forward to that and know of our prayers and support for all of you. Well, that's, you. An aw- that's an awesome place for us to bring our conversation to close, a place of hope and partnership and relationships and encouragement moving forward for such a time as this. So we uh, appreciate the leadership of our president, uh, Javier Vieira of Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and of Bishop Julius Trimble of the Indiana Area United Methodist Church, who have been our tremendous uh, guest of encouragement here today on the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Many thanks to our guest today in the United Methodist People podcast, uh, President Javier Vieira from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. If you want to find out more about Garrett, you can go to their website. That's garrett.edu. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T dot E-D-U. You can find out all about the seminary there. 
But I hope you found out about the seminary and about President Vera's vision in our podcast episode today and about his vision about how the, the challenge here is indeed in making is uh, make the road as we walk on, as he spoke about the quote that he spoke about during our podcast, but also about how the conversation led us to the understanding of what theological education is as well. What does it actually mean to get a theological education? And he realized and he come to the uh, to the realization that theological education is not only preparing people theologically, giving them a sound theological foundation, but it is a graduate school in many other ways. It's a graduate school of leadership and of public service, of sending people out into the world to make a difference in partnerships and other ways that the church and Christian leadership can be transformative in our communities. I hope you heard those things. So we thank President Vieira for his leadership. We wish him well in his leadership at Garrett. And we thank him for being our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast, along with Bishop Trimble, who always gives us some theological insight of his own and certainly is always one to be encouraging. We here at the United Methodist People podcast are looking to impart good things into your life and ministry as United Methodist Christians and to strengthen the connection in the church, even through some of the challenging times that we go through. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. I'm a local church pastor and elder in the Indiana Conference looking to serve uh, the good of the church. And I hope that you will as well. So until next time, friends, I just want to leave you with this quote from John Wesley's, from his uh, writings about the character of a Methodist from 1739. I think it speaks well to our conversation today. And it goes like this, open quote. But as to all the opinions which do not strike at the root of Christianity, we think and let think, so that whatsoever they are, whatever right or wrong, there are no distinguishing marks of a Methodist. Close quote. Take care, friends. God bless. Until next time, remember to always do all the good that you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. And always do all the good you can.